Right, good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, Revelation 19, verses 1 to 10, found on page 1250, please. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Thanks, Val. Keep your Bibles open. Hello, I'm Colin. Welcome to you all. And my welcome to everyone else's. Great to have you with us. Now, we're at a declaration of faith and we're going to a baptism later, but I just want to talk about weddings. What's the best wedding you've ever been to? Apart from your own, what's the best wedding you've ever been to? I mean, I love a good wedding. Uh, Everyone dressed up to the nines, you know, getting all the family together and friendship groups together. Uh, Great wedding reception after the photos are done. Um, There's a wedding in today's passage and we're going to look at that later on. But one of the things I like best about a wedding is it can make even the most stoical, reluctant members of the family loosen up and respond and express themselves, especially later on at the wedding reception. Because we've all seen Amory, like a reluctant dad or grumpy Uncle Reg, sitting there grim-faced while the DJ's playing, 
moaning and tutting about all this noise he's playing. Why can't you play some proper music? And I'm like, come on, let's go up and dance. Enjoy yourself. Nah, nah. You'll never get me up. But then it comes on. I'll show you it. I'll show you how it's done. Come on. I'll show these young guns. Thanks, Tim. I don't actually know the moves. The nut bush. No. We'll just have 20 minutes of nut bush. Honestly, I came to, we came to Australia, came to our first Australian wedding. I thought, what is going on? But everybody gets off at the nut bush and, and grumpy Uncle Reg... At least for a few minutes, it is given over to joyfully dancing in a manner more nimble than the, the hipster who stood at the bar looking on scornfully. And he's having a lot, be- lot more fun in the process. Brilliant, he declares Uncle Reg at the end, before he goes and requests the Macarena. <laughs> well, today we're, not, we're looking at not, not what prompts dance moves so much, but we're looking at what prompts the great multitude uncountable numbers, and even the top brass of heaven itself. Not just to say, but to shout, Hallelujah! I'm not suggesting that the heavenly throng is grumpy like Uncle Reg, but they shout Hallelujah! It's, hallelujah, it's a word we're kind of used to, isn't it? Um, we tend to use it when something, something finally goes our way, or we've had a great success, or an eight-year-old has stopped practicing the recorder. <laughs> hallelujah! But it's a Hebrew word from the Old Testament, meaning praise God. And we've got it four times in this passage that Al's just read so well for us. Four times as, as a sort of a loud, bawdy interjection. A, a huge noise of praise to God. So loud, you could feel your bones rattle. Because this is a really noisy passage. Uh, Val, Val did it some justice, but it's, it's really noisy, this passage. Verse 1, sounds like the roar of a great multitude. Verse 3, the shouting. 4, there's crying from the soul, crying out. Verse 6, there's a great multitude and rushing water and peals of thunder and more shouting. So what is it that they're all shouting about? What is it that prompts heaven in, in such a raucous hoo-ha? It's good news. It's the good news about Jesus. And we're going to look today at these songs that tell us why Jesus is such good news. Uh, we're nearing the end of a, a whole series we've been doing in Revelation, the book of Revelation. And this it was a, a revelation from God um, more like a picture book than a puzzle book. And it's been given to to Christians to give us the eternal perspective, that eternal perspective that we're saved to eternal glory with Jesus so that we can endure and so that we can start spreading the news. Now, there's an outline in your leaflet there. The New York, New York lyrics are just a memory hook. If they're helpful, go with them. If they're not, just forget about them. But there's an outline in your leaflet if you want to keep going on. They're woven through. Uh, last week, we looked at how God is perfectly fair and just, and that God, because of that, he will judge and punish evil, uh, which is rebellion against him. And, but because of the undeserved grace he offers us, 
he took that punishment on himself in Jesus so that we can be saved from it. That was chapters 15 and 16. And we're going to, we're looking at chapter 19 today. But we'll bounce back into chapters 17 and 18. So let's have a look together why Jesus is good news. First of all, Jesus is good news because he is a good judge, a good judge. Now, today's passage talks about God's judgment. But if you carry on the rest of chapter 19, it makes it clear that these judgments are carried out through Jesus. And Jesus himself says in in John's gospel, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. So Jesus is a good judge. So let's have a look at those opening uh, verses of chapter 19. So verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. All the good news belongs to God. Verse 2. For true and just are his judgments. Uh, I preached on that last week. Little plug, go on the website and you can listen to it there. It's really um, he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. A great prostitute. Condemnation, vengeance. We're talking a really nice passage for you, Declaration of Faith, this morning, shall we? What's all this about? Who is this great prostitute? Well, if you flick back to um, chapter 17... And verse 5, and in the vision, there's a woman riding the beast, and we're told who she is. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. So Babylon was a city that spawned an empire. So um, Daniel is set in Babylon, where God's people spent 70 years in exile. But here in chapter 19, our perspective is at the end of the world. Looking back on the events that have have led up to the end of the world. And Babylon has come to represent worldly secular power in all of its seductiveness. Babylon here stands for all that is opposed to God and his people. All that's tempting the world away from God and into evil. So what is it about Babylon... That's so terrible. That why what is it, makes her so terrible that heaven shouts hallelujah when she's condemned? Well, Babylon seduces and Babylon persecutes. Seduces and persecutes. So in uh, that description in chapter 17, Babylon, she's described, she's dressed in purple and scarlet. She's uh, glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now, if you're a first century ancient Near East man now, you're getting a bit hot under the collar. This is a bit racy for church. You're shifting in your sandals. She's got all the luxuries that you could want. Chapter 18, we've got a list of them in 11 to 13. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and carriages, and a hint something's not quite right, human beings sold as slaves. Apart from the human slaves, all that sounds great, doesn't it? 
nice stuff. They're all good things, all good things that God has given to us in his grace. But the problem is, Babylon uses them to lead people away from God and into evil. Babylon takes the good things God has given given us uh, and tries to make them what life is all about. Uh, Shakes them in God's face and says, I don't need you. You look in uh, chapter 18, verse 7 there. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never mourn. I don't need God. Uh, Tom Clark Coventry, he was in a a successful UK band called The Enemy. They decided to end it all, split up, whilst they were still selling out tours. And this is what he says as to why. There comes a point where the greed, the hypocrisy, the lies and the infighting that plagues the music industry becomes so intolerable, so nauseating, that you have to step back and ask yourself, is this really a nice place to be? The music industry used to be about two things, the appreciation of musicians creating art and sound and the ability to monetize that art in order to fund its production. Now it's just about one thing, money. It turns lifelong friends against each other. It makes once passionate men greedy. It erodes trust and destroys good people's morals. Ultimately, the music industry's ceaseless and crass addiction to it is too much for me to bear anymore. Integrity is everything in this short life. Thankfully, we lift with ours intact and our heads held high. Sad story, isn't it? The money had become the main thing and destroyed the very art that generated it. This is what Babylon does. She seduces with riches and pleasure and uses them to, t- to turn us away from God who created them for us. She replaces God with poor substitutes, which look and feel great, but can never satisfy, leaving us feeling empty and broken and desperate, destroyed by the very things we end up worshipping. And not satisfied with distracting people away from God, Babylon also persecutes Christians. Chapter 17, verse 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Now, the Apostle John, who had this vision, he may well have been think, had the Roman Empire in mind when he saw it. But there have been many Babylons since then, haven't there? Many versions elevating sensuality and materialism into God's rightful place. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have little Babylons in our hearts. Our fears and our desires drive us to chase wealth and fame, beauty, sex, power, fame. We've all put our own desires before God. And the Bible calls this sin. So what should we do? We should get out of Babylon while we still can. We should say, I'm leaving today. Chapter 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. 
If you are living without God in his rightful place as your God, ask yourself, like that musician from the band, is this really a nice place to be? Jesus, the good judge, knows the sin and crimes we commit against him and against each other and the destruction and the pain that it leads to, and he won't let it stand forever. There will be a day when he judges and punishes those sins. See, Jesus is good news because he's better than any of Babylon's seductions. He brings lasting satisfaction because he is the truth. He is worth following. He is lasting worth and meaning that go on into eternity. Get out of Babylon now whilst you can. Now, of course, for Christians, this is not a call to go and be a nun or a monk to hide away from the world. You can't hide. Babylon is everywhere. And Revelation, the book of Revelation, is given to us to help us endure living in Babylon, living in the here and now. But it is a call to turn away from her habits, from Babylon's way of putting God out of the picture. It's a call to turn away from sin, to give your life over to God and his ways, and trust Jesus, the good judge, to save you. So Jesus is a good judge. Another reason Jesus is good news is that he's a good bridegroom. So the second point in your outline there, a good bridegroom from verse 6 in chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah for our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The wedding of the Lamb has come. The Lamb, that's what Revelation calls Jesus. Uh, referring to the fact that we're saved by his death, by him willingly giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins, taking the punishment we deserve. And who's the bride? Well, the bride is the church, it's us. All the people who believe, trust, and, in, and live for Jesus. Now, I wonder, is this how you imagined eternal life with Jesus? Getting married to him? Um, I think we're influenced by art and People think of angels sitting on clouds playing a harp. And, and in all honesty, I think harps are a bit posh. It sounds pretty boring. But a wedding? Well, I love a good wedding, like I said. All the romance, all the sense of occasion. You know, there's a good meal, speeches. The best man's a bit cheeky. Dad makes everyone cry. So proud of his daughter. Uh, everyone's dancing. Kids doing sliders across the dance floor. Nana leaves early, waving the couple off on honeymoon. I like weddings. Have you got the picture? (laughs) But of course, the really great thing is that two people are becoming, in God's eyes, and socially, in every way they can, one. Two becoming one. A man and a woman committed to be bound together forever. 
And here's the thing, part of the reason God created marriage, he created it before the fall, remember, it's a good thing. Part of the reason God created marriage was to show us just how intimately bound to Jesus we, his church, will be. So what can we expect from this groom? Well, in the Old Testament, through the prophet Hosea, God made some promises that Jesus fulfills here. He said this, I think it's on the screen, yeah. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. That yearning we all have to be loved, to be cared for, for someone to make everything all right for us. We have that because we're made to be in right relationship with God, worshipping him. And Jesus is good news because he gives us that relationship. Jesus is the bridegroom who will never let us down, never forget to care for us. Married blokes, when you stood at the front of church, watching your bride coming down the aisle, how did she look? Beautiful? Perfect? And what did you feel like? A prat in a suit? Hardly worth the attention of the woman walking towards you, let alone her hand in marriage. But Jesus has loved us so much that even whilst we were still hanging around in Babylon, he gave up his life for us to make sure we're presented absolutely perfect at his wedding. Verse 8 again. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Jesus makes sure we're presented perfectly. He saves us into acts of righteousness. So worthwhile, eternally significant stuff in the here and now. Uh, Ephesians 2 puts it like this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good stuff to be getting on with in the here and now. And not only that, Jesus is good news because when we come face to face with the judgment we deserve, we're instead found dressed up in the pure righteousness that he's provided for us. And the Apostle Paul, talking to husbands, put it like this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And all this means that instead of getting thrown out of the wedding and facing wrath like a drunken uncle, we instead receive blessing. Verse 8, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, The word supper there is the same word as for banquet or feast, or in our terms, a wedding reception. Now, weddings in England are a little different. The way we tend to do it is you have the wedding reception, and then there's the day-do and the evening-do. So the day-do is like a sit-down meal for close family and friends. But then all the riffraff join you in the evening, the evening-do. It allegedly keeps the price down a bit. The riffraff just get a buffet, everyone else gets a sit-down meal. 
But Jesus is good news because he not only gets you invited to not just the evening do, not just the day do, you have the place of honor alongside him at the top table. Place of honor. Jesus is good news because he's a good judge, because he's a good bridegroom. And finally, Jesus is good news because he is worth worshiping. The Apostle Paul, uh, John, when he's receiving this vision, this revelation from God, he's, he's hearing the message from an angel. It just means a messenger of God. And he's so in awe, he's getting carried away. Verse 10, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Christ. Worship God. In other words, I'm just the messenger. Worship the one who sent you the message. Uh, worship means to give someone their true worth. And we all go through life worshipping, living for something or someone. There's no neutral. We're all giving our life to something or someone. But following Babylon, going our own way, it, it's like going to your own wedding and treating it as if it were all just about the presence. Can you imagine going to your own wedding and ignoring your new wife or husband? And just, wow, look at, what, look at all these gifts. Look at what we've got here. Opening them there and then. Missing out on the joy of the occasion because you've entirely missed the point. Hurting your new husband or wife and, and shortchanging yourself because you care more about material things. So instead, join Jesus for the first dance. We can, we can wholeheartedly give our whole life to Jesus, knowing that he's worthy of it, knowing that he can be trusted with it, because he gave up his own life to make us right with God. So how can we begin to worship Jesus? Uh, I can't go past this passage. It's got all these alleluias in it and not mention Leonard Cohen, who died, the songwriter and artist who died earlier this month. Uh, his most famous song, of course, is Alleluia. It's been covered by loads of people. But they often leave out um, the last verse, which was uh, Cohen's favorite. And I think, I think some of it's helpful for us. It starts like this. I did my best. It wasn't much. I've told the truth. I didn't come to fool you. You can't fool God. He knows your heart. He knows what you've done confess your sins to him turn away from them and follow jesus and the song goes on and even though it all went wrong i'll stand before the lord of song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah even though we've all got it wrong the good news is jesus got it all right and what looked to the world like everything going wrong, his death on the cross, was actually the best news in history. As Jesus took the penalty for, this, for our sin, meaning we can stand before him, be found bright and clean, without blemish, singing hallelujah. It means we really can make a new start of it. So Jesus' is good news because he's the good judge. Don't be found following Babylon. 
be careful not to be seduced. Jesus is good news because he is the good bridegroom. Be assured that he will give you the clean slate you need to be intimately bound to him. And in the here and now, get on with fulfilling those good works he's prepared for you. And Jesus is good news because he is worth worshipping. Don't shortchange yourself or Jesus by, by giving yourself to something else. So I hope looking at this passage has prompted you to want to, if, if not shout out, at least express your praises to God. So, I think we're just going to do three hallelujahs. You up for that? We'll make them increasingly louder. All right. With me. After three. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Louder. Hallelujah. Louder. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm just going to pray in response to all of that. Then the musos will come up while I just pray more generally. Heavenly Father, uh, we admit that we are sometimes seduced by Babylon. We are sometimes um, give things and people and our ways the place that you deserve. We're sorry for it. And we turn away from our sin. Um, we believe that Jesus is the bridegroom who has uh, done all that's needed to present us holy and without blemish. And we thank you for that. Uh, we confess that Jesus is our Lord. And we trust in you now. Amen.